0: Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of Empire Podcast Spoiler Specials. This one is dedicated to Francis Lawrence's The Hunger Games Part 3 Mockingjay Part 1, the third in the Hunger Games series. And like the movie itself, this podcast will feature a group of people in a room talking. Uh, Those people are... Helen O'Hara.
1: Hello. That's
0: her voice. Phil DeSimlian. This is my voice. And Ali Plum. May the odds be ever in your favour. Classic Spock quote. Welcome everybody, before we discuss the movie of course we're going to hear from his director Francis Lawrence, Uh, this is his second Hunger Games film, he's also directing the second part of Mockingjay which is out next year, we spoke to Helen and Ali recently when he came to London. Before you go on and listen to that and listen to us banging on about the movie, as ever a warning don't listen to this podcast until you've seen the film or unless you've read the book, this is a spoiler special, we will be talking about the movie in great detail. Uh, Where possible of course we're going to try and steer away from spoilers for the final which is based on the second half, roughly, of Suzanne Collins' Mockingjay. Uh, And we're also going to try and steer away, therefore, from spoilers for the book itself. Okay, before you hear us, here's Frances Lawrence.
1: No, there was one thing, though, that there was a bit of a change from the book that I thought was interesting, which is, in the book, her list of demands to District 13 includes being personally allowed to kill President Sloan, a guarantee that she will be the one to personally kill him. And that hasn't happened, certainly, yet, Mm -hmm. without giving too much away. Was there was there a reason for that? Is is that part of the build up as well?
2: It's, it's part of the build up, and I think it's it's also because I think that's in in splitting the story. What we wanted to do is that I think is much more part of the second story, uh, the second half of the book, and so that was uh, purposely omitted and saved for later in Katniss's arc. Can I ask about the cat in the bag? Yes, <laughs> I will say that. Um, it's it's a great cat, but cats are not the easiest animals to work with. And, you know, Jen did really get to pick up the, our cat and put it in the bag. Um, it did not enjoy getting put in the bag. It didn't walk around, obviously, when she puts the other thing, the photograph of her dad, into the bag. The cat's gone. Yeah, that's not actually the cat in there at that point. When you see her put the cat in the bag, she's putting the cat in the bag. When the cat's just in the bag, <laughs> then it, we actually had a little animatronic cat puppet that would be in the bag and could move around just a little bit. So if if you you really look, you can sometimes see the bag move just a little bit. That's just a little stuffed animatronic dummy. I really hope someone get to keep got to keep that when uh, when I'm sure the prop the prop department probably has that. That was their that was their deal.
1: That's great attention to detail. I'm actually going to be looking out for that when I say yeah. it again. I wanted to ask about Present Coin and District 13. I think I thought Julianne Moore was terrific, and I thought it, it was great that she has these moments where, on one hand, she you know she has a real heart to heart with Katniss at one point, and, and a real sort of connection with her, and then at other points she just seems absolutely steely mm-hmm. in her determination to to keep on course.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, President Coin is one one of the interesting, you know, developments in this series and in this adaptation because, you know, she's a huge character from the book. But if you actually go back to the book, there's very few scenes with her. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was one of the characters that we really had to develop. It's a little like our work with Plutarch, Phil's character, in Catching Fire – You know he's a huge character and he's very important but there's actually very little with him i think there was really the dance and the scene at the end what we did with suzanne collins in both catching fire and in these films is we did some world expansion so um people i think will see that we actually have some scenes of katniss in 13 that happen earlier than the book actually begins Mm -hmm. Um, the book begins a little later and uh, you know, Katniss is sort of remembering a few of the weeks earlier of meeting Coin for the first time, and all of that. And that that of course wouldn't really work for us, and doesn't work structurally. Yeah. Um, so we were able to add some scenes, and that meant that we actually had to work on some real character development mm-hmm. and expansion with Coin. Um, Julianne had already come on board; she really loved the books and wanted to be a part of it, and so she actually was part of the process of developing uh, the character, um, and. You know, she brought this and she had this idea to play Coin in a very quiet way, in a very soft way, in a very warm way that to to give her kind of a quiet strength. And I think it worked really, really nicely. And we sort of worked that into the into the screenplay um, and I think worked really, really well.
1: Yeah. I love the scenes actually with her and Plutarch. Now, first of all, I mean, condolences on because that must have been just incredibly hard to keep working without without Phil there. but. Um, they had a, a a lovely dynamic between them where mm-hmm. on one hand she values him she understands how important he is and and how useful he can be on the other hand she's a little bit wary of him getting too uppity in a way or too powerful because she's he's still from the capital
2: yeah, I mean, well that was a, it was a fun dynamic to to build and you see a little bit of it in the book, but we had to sort of back engineer some of the earlier scenes. It was really interesting to develop and partly with Phil, and this was one of the first things that I ever pitched to him when I met him for Catching Fire was that he sort of had the opportunity to play two characters, right? Because in Catching Fire he's playing the Plutarch that President Snow thinks he is. Mm-hmm. Right? And now he's in District 13. This is actually the real Plutarch. This is the Plutarch that's not afraid he's gonna be beheaded at any moment, right? And he actually kind of at this point has nothing to lose, right? He's left his home, he's risked it all, he's here. He thinks he's got his ideas, he's right. So he can speak very, very freely. Mm -hmm. Um, But he also has a mindset coming from the Capitol for sort of the idea of image. And she's not used to that at all. I think she's a very practical person. Uh, And she has a way of working. um, And there's very little oxygen in the way she works um, and spark. And I think they start to work together. And, uh, you know, but it also causes a little friction in the beginning.
1: I thought there was a sense maybe later on that she'd begun to maybe accept a little coaching, like her, her late on speeches, without saying too much about them, seem a little bit more coached and more oh, eloquent
2: oh absolutely i mean i think that's one, one of the ideas and it's you know it's a it's a subtler arc but i think that you can you can see the progression throughout um but what's what's really fun to see and you'll even see it further into too is that yeah her her speaking changes her posture changes um you know if you see in the first speech she comes out she's she's just kind of reading from notes mm-hmm. Um, And it's very flat. It's very dry. It's very practical. She's just getting it done. Later, it starts to be a little bit more of a show. She's picked up on some of his tips. You can even see, you know, Plutarch mouthing the words. He's written some of the speeches. And you see her sort of um, blossom, in a way, um, into the leader that she's going to become.
1: There was one line, though, no progress without compromise, which I thought hinted at perhaps a little bit of conflict between herself and Katniss later on, because Katniss is not somebody who's terribly good at compromise.
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely.
3: It did remind me a bit of the West Wing at that point, where I thought there's some nice political coaching here. Yes. With the mouthing along. And this is maybe my ignorance showing here, but is this the first time we see a good close-up shot of a Jay?
2: It is. And how difficult it is, was that know, to
3: design? Because that's obviously uh, well, you a know, well,
2: it wasn't that that difficult to design. You know, there was a there was a piece of a scene in Catching Fire that we ended up chopping out of the movie. Ah, um, and there was a scene between Plutarch and President Snow in his office, and I think it was the scene where um, Gail had been whipped, and Katniss steps in and intervenes, and the cameras have caught the moment where she intervened, um, and people saw it. Before they had a chance of cutting out the the feed, and Plutarch is coming in and and uh, telling Snow what happened. And there was a moment in Snow's speech there where he actually stopped and started to tell the story of the Mockingjay, and the creation of the Mockingjay um, between Jabberjays and Mockingbirds, and and sort of basically paralleling um, the idea that Katniss and what she stands for is getting out of control, just like the Mockingjay was something that was out of their control. And he used to point to an illustration. So from back... and So we had created a design and an illustration of the Mockingjay for Catching Fire, and we'd use that for the design. It was good to see it. Beautifully purple, I think I saw. Indigo, perhaps. I'd say say it's more indigo. If it was purple, then I would say that the projector was... uh, The color of the projector was a little off. And that's the same scene that we
3: hear the song. Now, I'm the guy in the room that hasn't read the book. Okay. So... Those are the lyrics from the book, is that right?
2: Lyrics are from the book, and the melody was written by the Lumineers. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense, because they write very catchy stuff. It's, it, it is, it's but you know, it's interesting. The reason I, I asked them to do it, and not the composer, um, was purely because they, on the last soundtrack album, they wrote this really beautiful song called Gale Song, and it just had this kind of... Um, rural you know almost Appalachian feel and I asked them and they were great guys and we had spoken a lot and I said hey how would you guys like trying to come up with a melody for what should feel like an Appalachian folk song and they said sure we'll give it a shot and uh, so I sent them the lyrics from the book and they wrote um, two melodies and we chose the first (laughs) and that became uh, the hang tree. It's amazingly catchy. Was it difficult in the editing room not to whistle that under your breath? Uh, No, I think a lot of people were whistling it and uh, singing it. It was sort of catchy and it sticks in your head for a while, yes. It's it's a bit hi-ho, hi-ho. Yeah. I kind of like it. Um, Yeah, no, it's a a very simple thing, but very catchy. And it sort of sounded tonally just right mm. for the kind of, you know, for a District 12 folk song. We also got to see the, could you tell me the
3: number of the District, Helen, but the the Lumberjack Woodmill. Yeah, District 7. That sequence, Uh, Was must have been to my mind quite fun to To make happen with them running up the trees and then setting Mm -hmm. off these mines or these bombs Um, What was it like to shoot that
2: that sequence is actually a combination of first unit and second unit I shot some of it and you know There was a helicopter unit that shot the sort of opening establishing shot in Oregon Um, And then we were using a forest about an hour or two south of Atlanta there was a farm that had these rows of pine trees. So it looked like a tree farm, which was really cool and sort of worked for us. Uh, But they also happened to be um, trees with very few branches, which is what you need when you want to have people running up trees because they use these sort of leather straps Mm. to, to run up. Um, and then we had a mix of, you know, a bunch of the people were extras, but we had a mix of stuntmen that had trained themselves to to run up trees with the help of, of some cables. But it's all based on the idea of those loggers that can, yeah. you know, do those races, races up the trees. But it was a lot of fun. And we, we discovered that the best of the tree runners was, um, was our greensman, Pedro. Uh, so he was a guy that's on set with us every day. I was dealing with dirt and rocks and trees and bushes, and he ended up being great at it. So we ended up... Duplicating him <laughs> with effects, and so you see, whenever you see those guys running up the trees, you know, numerous <laughs> men are actually just Pedro, our Greensman, running <laughs> up the running up the trees.
1: Numerous Pedros, that's cool. Yeah, um, I wanted to ask a little bit about Gale because I think on one hand he gets a lot more to do this time. We get yeah. to see a lot more of him, which I think fans of the book, especially, are going to really love. On the other hand, he's maybe less. Ambiguous at this point as we leave this film, than he is at a similar point in the book. It, it felt to me, and maybe that's maybe that's um, in what way? What do, you mean? what do you mean? Well, in the book, we'd already seen him working on weapons with BT which isn't mm. particularly developed here. And there was there was talk of him being involved in uh, the attack on District Two, which I don't know if it's the same attack we saw on the dam or or not, but. But that felt like you know that's something that hasn't been been said certainly yet, even if it's happened.
2: Right? Yeah, I think you know we are we are saving. We we ended up shooting. You know, we we shot a little bit of um, a little bit more with Beatty. There there was a piece in the meadow um, with the hummingbirds and and uh, and Gail talking about the trap. That just didn't didn't work for the story. We really needed in that first act to kind of to, to get going and we really honestly needed Katniss to be getting out to District 8 as soon as possible because yeah. that's really where sort of the story start, really starts to kick off after the failed Propo and she goes to District 8 and it felt like stalling somehow and what we realized was that it was okay, because in this movie, we are starting to set up his mindset, Gale's mindset a little bit, and it's it's here where you start to see the beginning of the conflict between Gale and Katniss, and the idea that Gale really is sort of embracing the the kind of fight mentality. Yeah. If Peta's sort of the one speaking for peace, Gale's the one speaking for the fight. Yeah. Um, and later in part two, you will start to see that connection with Beatty and the weapons and the traps and... Right. You know, the, the those moments from the book.
1: Yeah. I thought it was probably a matter of timing. Yeah.
3: Talked about the fail propo. Uh, let's say this movie isn't a laugh a minute. It's yeah. it, So it doesn't aim to be by any means. Right. It, it was very funny to see Jennifer Lawrence do some very good acting at bad acting. Yes. She gets a bit better, but not really. And then she gets worse. And then just everyone's face is reacting. Um, was that difficult to shoot? How hard is it to get bad acting right as a director?
2: Well, you know the the trickiest thing for me there that was actually you know we shot that scene over two days um, and it was really it was a really fun time because we were having a lot of laughs and you know and she she was doing various things and Phil was great that day and he was really having um, a lot of fun and he was improvising a lot Um, you know the tricky thing is is and and I'm not a comedy director at all but the tricky thing is is with with comedy and especially in a movie like this um, that has a very specific kind of tone, you have to find the right balance of the kind of humor. And so we had versions that were really broad, right? So we're cracking up on set and you think it's really funny and, you know, but then suddenly your worry is, oh wow, is this just gonna feel like a completely different movie for a minute? So you're having to try different versions to make sure we're gonna be able to sort of really find, um, you know, the exact right tone of the levity in the scene. Um, and you also want it to be believable. You don't want it to, you know, turn into a completely different kind of movie. one uh, with the DVD extras, hopefully? Yeah, maybe. I mean, there's some, there was some really funny stuff. We had a, we had a good couple of days.
1: I wanted to ask a little bit about Josh and, um, and Sam Claflin as, as uh, Peter and Finnick, because they have both kind of gone through the ringer in this one a little yeah. bit. And I know from, from our feature on it, I think Josh, you know, really lost a lot of weight for his role. First, I'll
2: address the weight thing. You know, Josh, we actually, we um, used visual effects for Josh. Yeah, because what we were gonna need to do over the course of the two movies is Josh was gonna have to be really healthy. Josh uh, was gonna have to sort of wither away and be in really bad shape um, at one point, and then again, get healthy again. And so it would have been impossible and probably very unhealthy to actually have him lose as much weight as we needed. Mm. Um, I'm sure he would have been willing to do it. Mm. It's just, you know, Timing those things out would have been really, really tricky, and yeah. it's not something we could have scheduled around. Um, Sam, I will say, and you know, I know the fans of the book will kill me. He did work out and did try stuff because we did shoot the scene with him in um, his underwear, right? Um, which we cut because tonally it did not match the rest of the movie.
1: <laughs> well, they'll definitely be um, hoping for and that. And there on the are DVD. Finnick
2: fans that will, you know, probably want to have me hung for not having <laughs> put it in the movie, but I just, I just couldn't do it. Um, and I felt really bad because Sam really tortured himself to get in really good shape, um, and he did. So I will give him the credit for, for getting in really good shape. Um, but yeah, emotionally, um, they both did a great job. I mean, quite honestly, with Sam, it was the scenes in this um, that made me want to cast him. Mm. To me, this is the real Finnick, the, yeah. you know, the sort of facade of Finnick is what we see in Catching Fire. And what's also interesting is the first scene that's, I think, the second scene in the movie where she finds Finnick in the hospital is actually a scene from Catching Fire. It's a scene from the book um, that we couldn't work into the end of the movie, but it was one that I always really liked. And it was actually one of the scenes that he read as his audition. And I thought it was really important to help sort of establish where Finnick is, what his state of mind uh, is, and also sort of help just kind of instantly established the tone of of this movie and so we ended up putting it at the beginning of of Mockingjay
1: I just have one sort of final question really about the the kind of the action scenes I guess the movie because you've got um an attack on a dam that that reminded me a little bit of Helm's Deep and I mean that as a a compliment rather than any any sort of you know you didn't I don't think you stole from Helm's Deep or anything Mm -hmm. else but it really had that same sort of propulsiveness and and the same sense of scale and and also there's a, a night drop uh into a enemy location just mm-hmm. lit in black and red which i thought was was stunning looking oh, so how, how long did it take you to kind of put those two together
2: well a lot i mean i think you know i think the dam you know part of the fun of this adaptation is the sort of expanding of the world that we did and you know i think the dam is something that's mentioned in attack on a dam in the book but it was something um and very important for us to visualize cinematically the revolution and also to be able to see the effect that katniss has had Right, so this propo she films with the hanging tree becomes a thing, an anthem for these people that are going out and sacrificing themselves, um, and that was what was important to me for for the dance sequence was um, to sort of feel that sacrifice and to make it an emotional sequence um, rather than just a, a, an action sequence. And the raid too, um, you know, obviously the, the the rescue is a big part of the book, but it's actually. Small. I mean, I think there's one little mention of it because Katniss doesn't go along that she just kind of hears, oh, well, I think they used a diversion and some gas or something. And so we had to create this whole rescue sequence, um, uh, which was really, you know, quite challenging in the in the script phase. And then also just figuring out, you know, how to how to work through all those locations and logistics and hovercraft and repelling and, you know. <laughs> uh it was it was tricky there's a lot of moving parts in that in that sequence but a lot of fun
1: how far along are you just a progress report for for anyone
2: we shot everything except one scene um so we're down uh we're missing one scene because we had too cold of a winter in atlanta we didn't get a spring uh so we have one scene left to shoot we have started editing part two um so we've actually cut a lot of the visual effects sequences wow. um so there's a a, a fair amount of work that's been turned over to the visual effects companies so they can get started and then after thanksgiving i think we're really going to sort of start work in full force on sort of putting the whole movie together amazing well thanks very much thank you cheers that was francis lawrence
0: very interesting insights into the movie uh what i thought was interesting about this film was how it doesn't make allowances for non-hunger games fans uh i have not read the books I've only seen the first two movies once a piece, liked them, but mm. not enough to really revisit them massively. Uh, and it just throws you straight in, doesn't it? Mm. It's like it, there's no previously on the Hunger Games, <laughs> which was slightly disappointed me. I needed something like that, but also you don't. It takes a little while to get up to speed, and it just bombards with character names and mm. incidents that it it it's kind of relies on you remembering.
1: It does a little bit. I think there's there's a little bit of the of the. Um The recap, I guess, in a passage that's sort of taken from the book, it has um, Katniss kind of escaping from her carers, not captors, in District uh, 13. She's sort of, uh, at that point, in the hospital wing, still kind of getting treated for her injuries in the games. And sort of escaping just to get some time out on her own and sort of reciting almost a mantra of, like, the basic facts of her life to try and, and get her own head in order and, and distinguish fact from reality and all the re- uh, fact from fiction and all the rest. So she's sort of saying, my name is Katniss Everdeen. I'm seven years old, seventeen years old. My home is District Twelve. I was in the Hunger Games. I escaped. The Capitol hates me. Peter was taken prisoner. So that's about as much throwback as you mm. get. I don't I
0: remember it being as, as detailed in the film. I'm well, that's true. I, I, I read
1: yeah. that actually from the book because I don't remember yeah. the exact quote, but it was along those lines. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just that's about as much of a of a recap as you get. And I think. In fairness, there's a lot of setting up to do at this point. You'd have to set up the structure of you've got a capital, you've got twelve dif- districts plus a hidden thirteenth. Um, you now have capital rebels led by Philip Seymour Hoffman's Plutarch, and and encompassing rather reluctantly Elizabeth Banks, Effie Trinket, who have come to District thirteen as part of the uh, as part of the escape effort that got Katniss out. You have a previous winner of the games, Hamich, Played by Woody Harrelson, you have the president of District 13, played by um, Julianne Moore, you have President Snow of the Capitol, played by Donald Sutherland, who's still very much the big bad. He's the boogeyman who's kind of hanging there over everything. You know, and, and you've also got friends like Gail, Liam Hemsworth, you've got the family, you've got Peter in captivity, you've got um, Finnick Adair. I mean, there's, there's just huge amounts of setup to be done. So I have a certain amount of sympathy for them slightly skimming over that can I ask
3: just quickly just as it occurs to me Jenna Malone had a very interesting character Mm -hmm. in the second film Catching Fire she was the girl who cut out the bug in Katniss's arm Mm -hmm. and tells her to stay still uh, before whatever happens with the lightning tree and, and the arrow and all that mm. stuff. She, I thought, was going to be in this film more, and instead mm. we just see it at the very, very, very end. Yeah. We saw on in this great white dress with this curling, kind of almost fire-like stuff, and I was like, oh, I thought we were going to see more of her and and Peter, given it the, uh, the, the hard sell.
0: But the movie makes a very conscious decision, doesn't it? I think it cuts away, there's just one scene at the very, very beginning where we see um, President Snow. I think there's like maybe there's a couple of scenes with President Snow, but other than that, we don't really get a sense of
1: life in you know, the capital. Yeah, yeah, life
0: in the capital. Or we we're ne- we're never with Peter. We always see him only on a screen, which I think is a very interesting decision. Yeah, it to, was. I mean.
1: As as you heard in that interview, Francis Lawrence says that this is sort of the the story of rescuing Peter. So they focus very much in on him, and and even more I agree, Ally, than the the publicity materials maybe indicated, which had her and which had Joanna and Pe- Peter flanking President Snow, and sort of both co-opted into his schemes. And and you know certainly the story in the book is they've both been through hell. They've both been forced to kind of go along with this stuff. So. So, yeah, it does feel like her her role was reduced a little bit. I guess that's because they chose to focus on Peter, but hopefully she will get more to do in the in the f- the fourth film in the second mm. part of this story. Because otherwise, it seems like a horrendous waste of a good actress. So far. she
0: was she was so good in the second one. I mean, I, I you know I I really loved the scene where she strips down in front of Katniss in the lift, and she's just so devil may care about her appearance. And it's the funniest moment in films that are very sombre and very, very serious. I, mean, I think, yeah. Yeah.
1: There's basically one joke in this and it involves a cat. Is there a...
0: Oh, yeah, when a yeah. sister Yeah.
1: No, my sister gets to keep her cat. That's about oh yeah. as funny as it goes.
0: <laughs> it is. It's, it's, you know, I do wonder about stand-up comedy in the, in the world of the, of the Hunt <laughs> Games. It's interesting. We, we, we talked a lot about this on the regular podcast. If you haven't heard that, it came out on Friday. Go and download it. It's kind of more of a general review of the film right at the end. But We talked about the fact that, you know, that this is a, this is a movie that has been somewhat cynically uh, you know, carved into existence because it, it's obviously part one. The book itself is, what, 400 pages, yeah. a little bit more. Um, it doesn't really seem to have been a need for this. This is basically, you know, just. It's, it's basically like if, if Francis Lawrence says this is the story of rescuing Peter, imagine if Return of the Jedi had been split into two parts and the first part had been rescuing Han from Jabba's Palace and that had been an entire movie that's essentially what this film is for me Uh, whereas really it should have been a 20 minute prologue shouldn't it?
1: I personally wouldn't disagree I think listen I think they were given the brief that hey we're going to split this into two movies go for your life and they've they've gone for it um, and tried to put in as many I guess character beats and scenes of political double dealing and intrigue as possible to, to try and make that work I, I would agree that I don't think it does particularly as well as the previous two have done just because there isn't as much to fill it um, and you almost wished that they had you know invented a different little quest or or you know amped up the scenes in, in 12 or in 8 and added something in you know we, we have seen that happen we have had that done before Um I think even Deathly Hallows added in a little bit more action, a a couple of extra action beats that went in the book just to give you some adrenaline rush in the first half of that film. And and that didn't really happen here. And I think maybe it would have... I mean, we get the tension, we get the paranoia, but we don't get any kind of adrenaline in this.
4: Where I probably would point a finger of blame at the filmmakers and the writer and, and Francis Lawrence, the director, is that where there are opportunities to do something exciting and dynamic, um, they they sort of seem to pass them by. There was an open goal in, in the attack on the on the power on the dam, yeah. Um, which is a little bit like I think people were comparing that with with the Battle of Helm's Deep. Uh, yeah. and, but it's cut the, the, this weird thing of like cutting away from the action in a really slightly sort of counterintuitive way, and yeah, draining of the tension and the excitement.
1: It's also a baffling tactical move uh, the way they do it to to run into the dam along the sort of I guess those are called the slipways I'm not sure I'll be honest my my dam nomenclature is not that great but um, they run along these slipways they put down the bombs they run out they don't give themselves time to get out of the way before blowing those bombs. I guess time is of the essence, but it seems like bizarre tactics. It seems like suicide tactics, yeah. It is,
4: because they don't have any weapons, do they? Why they don't have any weapons?
1: Well, they don't have any weapons because the capital is supposed to have all the weapons.
4: But District 13 has weapons.
1: District 13 has weapons, but they're not in touch with all the districts because the capital still has control of many of the districts. But they can't get to the
4: districts. With their ship.
1: Yeah, that is true, and to be honest, I think that was also a m- missed opportunity a little bit in terms of Gale. So this is something that I put to Francis Lawrence. He did have a, a, a you know an answer, but I do think the the book um, develops Gale's character in that he's been working very closely with BT in District Thirteen. He's been developing weapons and tactics, and uh, in the book he is involved. We know that he's involved in an attack uh, in District 2 now it's I think not the same one that's in the film we may still see another attack in District 2 in part 2 of Mockingjay which he is involved with but it seems like a bit of a wasted opportunity because that would have been a, a chance to kind of develop his character a bit more and also the attack as described is a bit more cinematic to be honest so you could maybe have, have made something of that have gotten one of your principles involved that way um, and have uh, a slightly more spectacular scene as a result
0: but isn't it interesting from a... These movies are quite interesting politically as well. And it's quite interesting, isn't it? We're, we're siding with rebels who are now essentially using suicide bombers mm. as a tactic. I kind of find it quite interesting. I don't know where it's going to go. I don't know where it's going to go with President Coyne. But it seems to me that this is a movie that's cautioning about just people making the same mistakes over and over and over again. And I really thought it was interesting how... Katniss in the first two movies was manipulated politically uh, and is seen as a political figurehead and a bit of a a political football just being thrown around and she wakes up and she's essentially right from the off being used and abused and manipulated and pushed into doing things by people who are in essence meant to be the good guys. I yeah, find it, I find it very.
1: I think that's very, very, very deliberate. I, yeah. I don't want to get into spoilers of part two. Okay. But I think that's that's absolutely what how you're meant to feel. Yeah. Um, coming out of this, um, this screenplay was actually adapted by Danny Strong, um, who we may remember as uh, Jonathan and Buffy. Um, okay. Wow. Yeah, uh, he's done well for himself and is is building up quite a reputation as a, as a screenwriter. But uh, it's, it's a good it's a good adaptation. Again, with that caveat that you know the first half of this book is not something that should have been a movie on its own. But yeah, it's uh, there's there's definitely that there, and I think it's I think Julianne Moore is, as um, President Coin is a really interesting figure because she does have flashes of real empathy for Katniss, you you can see that she sees parallels between them Um, there are moments where she really kind of there's almost a connection despite Katniss's wariness of basically everyone at this point like she's wary of everyone except maybe her sister, I think it's fair to say and Peta, perhaps Um, and uh, and and despite that there's there's little moments of of connection there's definitely little moments of humanity you can see um, Coyne initially being very very wary of uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's Plutarch that she sees his value as someone who's come in from the capital and is bringing a certain number of skills with him but also sees that his loyalty is maybe questionable because of that and and realises that part of his value is that he's an expert manipulator and doesn't want to be manipulated by him so there's there's a really interesting dynamic I think between the two of them and you see the I don't think it's the balance of power switches, but you see the balance of maybe trust switch. Mm. As the film goes on, there's that great scene later on where she's giving a speech, much better speech than the one she gave earlier, and he's almost mouthing the words with her, so you get the impression that there's really been, she's beginning to take his advice more, she's beginning to listen more, Mm. and kind of adopt the same tactics that he's familiar with.
4: Yeah, it is interesting on like spin-doctory, manipulation, propaganda, the media. This franchise is full of fascinating ideas, which I Mm. think elevates it. But I just don't feel like this idea pushes this film pushes those forward in a way that we haven't already seen. I think taking it out of the capital, in the way that it does, slightly draws the sting from some of that stuff. You know, if you're kind of supposed to be comparing the two. And making them parallel in some weird way. Yeah. Um, I think you need to see a bit more of the way the capital is functioning at this point, maybe, and the other districts.
0: I think you also need to see the effect that uh, Katniss has on people in the capital, which we don't see. Uh, you know, this is a very interesting movie in, in many ways about how, you know, the revolution is will, you know, the revolution is televised essentially, and how. Uh, wars are fought in the media which of course they weren't years ago but now it's all about you know how Katniss looks and how she sounds and how she comes across and then she has stylists and all sorts of stuff Um, it would have been interesting to see uh, just cutaways to people in the capital just to you know to react to A. the fact that she's alive and the fact that she's leading an insurgency I I thought that would would have been uh, another missed opportunity but it's a very interesting film and it's a very brave decision is, as cynical as it may be to I think to make a film that's two hours long has one and a half action sequences in it and is filled with conversations with Oscar winners and Oscar <laughs> nominees in rooms uh, banging on about big topics. This is, you know, I know Phil. You don't. You. <laughs> I don't I, think
4: it's brave because they know the the analytics and they know the balance sheets and they can project the revenues. No, I don't think there's any. Bravery it is involved. brave because, as Helen
0: said, they they could easily have thrown in another two or three action sequences. They could have. They could have. They could have leavened it somewhat. They could have injected it with a little bit more humour. Uh, they haven't. This is a very sombre, serious, very talky movie that will probably make just shy of a billion dollars at the, at the worldwide box office that's kind of interesting to me I'm not endorsing it I'm not saying necessarily but I enjoyed the film uh, but I just I just kind of that's find really it interesting right. I wonder if it's going to uh, you know, spark a trend is Avengers 3 <laughs> just basically going to be Tony Stark talking to Thor for 90 minutes
1: totally on board with that Can I just, I've said this <laughs> for years they're both topless by the way I oh my that? goodness oh, there you go. Interstellar
4: oh. is brave you know, regardless of uh, what you think yeah. of it that's brave yeah. this is not brave I don't think this is brave. I yeah. mean, I know what you mean. I know what you're driving at. It certainly bucks the trend of having the sort of final final act super battle. Yeah, we don't were, have that. There were no talking bears, so... But I didn't find the talking that compelling. I mean, there were moments there were no talking... What the hell happened to the talking bears? Yeah, got like, I mean... You know, when it comes <laughs> to rebel, rebel guerrilla, military against the oppressor type movies, they may be Pine for Red Dawn.
3: <laughs> oh. <laughs> sometimes.
4: It may Pine sometimes. for Red Dwarf. <laughs> I loved the... I called it a gimp outfit,
3: but the barber that cuts President Snow's face is mm-hmm. wearing this weird pink lobster mm. without its red shell gimp suit, all crotches and knobbly bits. I just wanted to mm. call everyone's attention to it when they rewatched the film. Right, so that he is—I mean, you don't see much of the Capitol, but what you do is some man in a flesh suit's
4: groin. <laughs> it's a heck of a time in the Capitol. I mean, when he cuts his face, the vice President yeah. groin. Is that De Niro? Is that The Untouchables? I think when it's, he, when he looks at it and
1: he... I think it's almost kind of undermining that trope because I was sitting there throughout that scene waiting for him to give the order mm. to execute the Gimp dude, uh, and yet he, you know, he actually doesn't. Um, <laughs> but clearly do the menace is there. <laughs> but the menace is there, and I think that's that's sort of that's the effect that you needed anyway. You he's, know, good. You he's good. He's good, southern. I think yeah, he's
4: he become better and better with every film. Said by, yeah, in his entire career or just just every film in his career. I feel feel like the
3: mechanic really lifted him, he just gave him that bump he needed. Yes, it did.
0: (laughs) The mechanic, yeah. (laughs) Speaking of unnecessary movies, his (laughs) his cameo in horrible bosses was (laughs) absolutely the apex of his career until now. The mechanic's getting a sequel, you know. It is getting a sequel, yeah. It is getting a sequel. That's a fact. Someone good's in it as well, isn't it? Yeah, Jason Statham. No, but someone uh, who's not Jason Statham. No, Jason Sathan's awesome.
1: It's interesting about the bunker scenes. I quite recently read Hugh Howey's Wool trilogy, and if you haven't read those, I highly recommend them. But those are all set within uh, massive kind of silo-style bunkers, 100 stories tall, um, and basically everything that's Alive on Earth is in one of these silos. and those give you a real sense of claustrophobia. They give you a real sense of uh, of place and of, you know, just just how that kind of society functions and works. And obviously that's a novel and it's got more space to do so and everything else. but it this sometimes, seemed a little inconsistent in in how the bunker worked or how the the district 13 worked it's one of those things where I almost would have liked a couple of big sweeping shots kind of or or walk and talks taking you through so you kind of got a real sense of the kind of geography of it because you do you do see present coin going through a huge kind of enormous open space with basically weaponry stacked everywhere but they seem to live in these really tiny enclosed uh, much deeper down quarters and yet there's also a um, a narrow sort of um, silo-style space where they where they hold kind of public meetings and there's balconies and everything there. So I just kind of wanted to know a bit better, I guess, how that works and how that functions. Yeah,
3: I agree. Uh, having watched Snowpiercer recently, I was like, oh, so this is a world in yeah. you know together in one spot. And it didn't, yeah, it not I did. You're right, absolutely right. There's massive hangars, so
4: much space,
3: and yet they have their public meetings in a in a bin. Mm.
4: There seems to be the way with these. YA type thing Divergence is the same sort of subterranean bunker chic seems yeah. to be the way which is where the downfall parallels come in um, and then at the end of the movie the bombing raid by yes. the Capitol is an interesting one because obviously they're going do they have nuclear weapons or do they not have
1: so both sides the capital and District 13 have nuclear weapons it's essentially a standoff um, so
4: there's there's mutually assured
1: mutually assured destruction, gimp,
4: gimp based destruction. Yes, but
1: neither wants to use the nuclear weapons because the implication of the of the whole series is that it's been a, some kind of nuclear apocalypse uh, before this series starts. That's why it's Pan Am That's why it's not America. That's that's all that's left, as far as we know. The rest of the world has been wiped out, or certainly bombed back to the Stone Age. Right. So uh, so they are both wary of wiping out the entire race, right. and not just each other's societies.
4: Although that's that's a possibility if it things is. get crazy. Bombing sequence at the end, everybody rushes, a bit of manufactured drama, everybody mm. rushes to sub basement level 67, and the doors close, and they're down there, yeah. and and, and the, the ceiling is shaking, and the yeah. dusty stuff's coming. You're like, they're 27 stories down, and then when they eventually go up, there's only like a small crater.
1: So yeah. what the hell I mean, I do feel like that could have been better hand and also just like give us some explosions, like dude, Michael Bay, this stuff, you know? Yeah, um, show us the bombing. Show us <laughs> even bombs. if only from from the you know from the the bombers up above, like show us some destruction. But I that's guess.
4: what I mean. That was a sort of vis- visual flair that yeah. I think the film missed. They needed that sort of thing.
1: They did have the the kind of the cleverness of showing Coin figure out that you know responding was actually revealing their hand too soon. That it was better to kind of hold back and. And not reveal how much power they actually had. And that's interesting, at least. It's an interesting response and something we don't always see amid mm. all of the Michael Bayisms.
0: It did have a bit where someone goes and saves a cat. Which is a sure. Good for fans of screenwriting books. Or uh, everywhere. <laughs> or, yeah. I thought it's intriguing. I just don't know how necessary it was. It, can't, it seemed to repeat things over and over again. It seemed to repeat points over and over again and scenes in some weird way seem to be repeated over again so Katniss went to District 12 twice
1: mm-hmm. Yeah I think that was a weakness I think you could have rolled those both into one in fact the the book opens with her in District 12 mm-hmm. um, on on that first visit So um, and in the film we've already had at least 10-15 minutes before she gets there mm-hmm. so th- this is actually almost more leisurely than the book even um, you could have I think folded a lot of the first visit into the, you know, into the second visit, if you like. You could have put those two together. And you could also have moved the, um, some of the second visit, some of the, the song and so on, and some of the kind of inspirational stuff, into the visit to District 8, which really gets her fired up because there's the attack on District 8 while she's there. So you, you could actually have gotten rid of one of those three school trips. Is the idea that
4: the capital, the snow, wants to kill Katniss? Or she, want, she wants her to come back?
1: I think at this point, I think he he probably... Well, I think he'd probably settle for either. He'd settle for getting control of her. He doesn't want her to be a martyr to the other side. So I think he's wary of making her a martyr. But... um because when she goes to
4: District 12 for the first time and there's a sequence and you're thinking there'll be some action here now because she's gone <laughs> and they'll know she's going to come back and they've left a the flower for her. So they know, you know, and then you see them in, in another, whichever other district it was and there's surveillance cameras everywhere. They launched the bombing raid yeah. on the hospital. So they, they, they could have surveillance and they could have done something at that point, but they presumably didn't deliberately because they were using Peter to manipulate her.
1: Mm. I but, think there is a, there is an implication he'd rather have her then make her a martyr, I think, is is probably the the takeaway from that. But I agree it's not hundred percent maybe clear <laughs> which which he actually which he favours. I do think the, the District eight scene was, was pretty darn good. I think the um just the tragedy of bombing a hospital is, is pretty egregious. If you want to show that the capital are yeah. definitely people worth getting rid of that that makes it pretty clear as if the wiping out of District 12 didn't do it that would make it pretty darn clear and I think her reaction in that scene is really good and the idea that she, she's completely incapable of artifice cannot really convince as the Mockingjay when she's in a studio being filmed she has to kind of go out there and be the Mockingjay to, to convince anybody and to fire anybody up I think that was a really nice and an interesting idea but yeah it's, uh, it's, an, it's it, we didn't need all three of those and I her being a bad
4: actress is quite fun that too. was funny she's very good but she's being trying to do the the firebrand mm. heroine and she just can't act
3: yeah. I'm glad there's not much space in the uh in the underground silo but there is a room for the media there's a nice little media Mixer. relay mixing booth like yeah. that I would like to, I know this is a society where their grand idea to remind people that they've suffered from a nuclear war and that they are better together is to get all of their most promising teens and shove them into a pit and make them poke each other with sharp objects. Putting that to one side... Was it the best idea to have a district which is purely the military? You've got a woodcutting one. By the way, I love that sequence, as I mentioned in the... uh, Embroidery. You've got the hugging one. You've got the golfing one. You've got the fish and chip shop. The the blogging district's very important. Blogging district. You've got the logging district. (laughs) Logging, logging, fee logging. You've got the dogging district. No, but you have a military district and go, damn, you know what? I should have kept that in the capital.
1: It wasn't originally just military. It was graphite mining. Oh,
0: like the doy. The obvious connection. You go, all graphite miners at some point arm themselves and, and they, <laughs> they want um, to reveal. I mean,
1: it's, po- it's possible that, that the capital didn't know where for all the military remaining military silos were and that the graphite miners find it, took it over and we're then in a position to fight back. Hey, prequel! Oh my God. I'm so sorry. Please, please don't make a prequel.
3: <laughs> so it wasn't the military zone I've got the wrong end of the stick. It just is the military it, zone. It
1: became militarised. I mean, in the book everyone becomes a citizen at the age of 14 and is then addressed as soldier. Um, that's their kind of honorific. Mm. So there's a bit of that going on. Okay.
0: So let's talk a, a bit more about some of the key uh, elements in the movie. Uh, relationships. The triangle... The love triangle, the triangle between uh, Peter, uh, Gail and Katniss. How's that going to, how's that played out? What do we think of it in the movie? You know, there's a kind of, does she love Peter? Does she really love Gail? Does Peter love her? Yes, he does. You know, does she mind the fact he's three feet tall? All these things. (laughs) Uh, Where's it going to, you know how it resolves. I do, I'm not going to tell you. But it's exciting, isn't it? It's a great love triangle. We love it.
1: I guess. I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> I guess, I to be guess. honest, what's... what's it was
0: trying to give the big build-up, Helen. But, you know.
1: <laughs> what's most interesting to me about this love triangle is that Katniss don't give a fuck. I mean, Whoa. Katniss could not be less interested in, in any kind of love triangle because she's got bigger fish to fry, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you do see her kiss Gail here and he immediately says, and apparently rightly, well, you just did that because I'm in pain and you want me to make me feel better, which essentially is why she kissed Peter before, and also because you know they were trying to f- manufacture a romance that would convince President Snow to save, to spare their yes, lives.
0: But it does seem to have that does seem to have engendered in her some genuine feeling for the little fella.
1: She does have genuine feeling, but whether that's romantic or not is is still not entirely clear. Mm. I don't think even to Katniss herself actually.
0: Yes, someone says that to her uh, at yeah. some point in the movie she probably watched it more than once.
1: They're, but they're her people and she wants to keep them safe. But that doesn't mean she necessarily wants to bonk them. <laughs>
0: I reckon it's going to peter out. One of my favourite lines in the movie, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, is when a character called BT loses a signal. We've all been there. The performances in this are, are are very solid across the board, aren't they?
1: I think so. You had a reservation about somebody, didn't you?
4: I had a reservation about Julianne Moore's character, oh. uh, performance. I've got to say, it reminded me of Kate Winslet in Divergent film that i really don't like and um been so good this year and so many she's so good always yeah and so many things i thought this was a little i don't know i i i don't <laughs> want to criticize her, julianne Moore because she's an amazing actress i just didn't i didn't quite i thought there was more to that character i don't think she she's she's, she's she could stand stand akin to donald Sutherland's. Character. She she conveyed some of that stuff that you that you were talking about that kind of what are her motivations mm. but I, I I don't know maybe part of it is that she's not really a, de- a demagogue is she she's not really a rabble rouser uh, this character she's kind of coming to terms with that as the film goes yeah, on
1: she's beginning to to see that as a means to an end perhaps. but there's a
4: bit of a charisma vacuum I feel and and uh, but, but partly that's a, a a side effect of this this District thirty not being the world not being defined enough. Yeah, not enough. being interesting enough uh, visually or, you know, those ideas aren't really... They're, they're introduced, but they're not really carried out. So maybe it's not her performance. Maybe it's just the role. And maybe the next film, which for the record I am actually looking forward to because it will have some stuff in it, um, <laughs> will see that, you know, bear fruit. So what can we expect from the next one? Without giving too many spoilers, can we expect things to go boom
0: or... Uh, we we can know?
1: expect things to go boom. I think you will feel coming to the end of this one, uh, you know, with... Peter's return and brainwashing well first of all f- from Peter's return and brainwashing there's going to be a hell of a lot more trauma for Katniss mm-hmm. because she's going to be anxious to try and recover him from himself if you will and, and, and heal him of this trauma but you are essentially talking the, the rebellion is building and building and there will be an assault on the capital and um, and we will have to see how that develops I mean I, I talked in the interview with Francis Lawrence um, but there is one significant thing left out with the book Uh of this book, of this half of the book, uh, which is that Katniss in the book demanded the right to kill President Snow personally. And she didn't do that in the film, maybe because it would look, make her look a bit vengeful and a bit, you know, she, maybe she's not quite there at the beginning of the film. I she doesn't want to go near him.
0: I think the audience would, would forgive her that.
1: <laughs> I think they would, but maybe, you know, maybe it, it, they felt it was, it was too soon for her character. I feel like at the end of this film, she's probably in that place seeing what they've done to Peter. So, uh, so maybe that will be the opening of the, of the next film, is, is her making that demand. Who knows? Um, but we're going to see some some serious uh, casualties begin to mount up. Oh. And we're going to see some some action finally happen, Phil. So good news for you.
4: And more of the cat, I hope.
1: Uh, well, I couldn't I couldn't tell you too much about Buttercup's face. Uh, fate, no spoilers. Or his face. Or his face.
3: Would you say that we'll see the other side of the coin?
1: That would be a spoiler. You might very well think that. I couldn't possibly comment.
0: Will the coin flip? Likewise. I've got a couple of questions as well. What do we think before we wrap up? The, the, the cliffhanger of the last one kind of actively annoyed me a little bit. It felt like a movie finishing mid sentence. This this feels like much the same. What do we make of this cliffhanger? It's it's kind. I see what the movie's kind of going for. It's kind of going for this is the Han Solo and Carbonite moment. Oh my God, Peter Little fellow has lost his mind. Oh, you all right?
4: Um, but so I don't patronizing.
0: Know. What? He's a tiny
4: little man. Can I read from the book of Joss Whedon? Well, it's not an ending, it's a comeback next week or in three years, and that upsets me. I go to movies expecting to have a whole experience. If I want a movie, and I'm going to forgive him for this, but I'm not happy, that doesn't end, I'll go to a French movie. What the... josh? seriously. That's a betrayal of trust to me. A movie has to be complete within itself. It can't just build off the first one or play variations. That's what Joss Whedon thinks. Now, I tend to agree with him on this one. Yeah, I can't and wait many other Infinity. things, so I say nothing more. I can't wait for Infinity War Part 1. <laughs> Boom.
1: I don't think that's going to be his, it looks like. Might be the Russos. That's the rumor. Anyway, we don't want to talk about Marvel in a spoiler cast for something completely different. My point is this: um, What was the question?
0: Uh, what do we think of the cliffhanger?
1: Okay. Uh, my point is this: I think what we're meant to take from that is that Katniss is 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 probably, I think, angry at that point, but certainly horrified of what they've done to Peter, and I think that will have consequences for the Capitol and consequences in terms of what she's willing to do um, to fight against the Capitol. Um, so. So yeah, it's it's not a traditional cliffhanger in that if this is the story of Peter, then they have him back. He's back with Katniss. Um but, but that throws up a whole new series of complications which we haven't dealt with yet. So that I guess is is the hangery part. Forget what I just said. The point is <laughs> <laughs> The point is, um I you know, I do think the uh the raid to get him back initially was, was very prettily staged. All the black and red was quite cool. Uh-huh. Um, even though they then denied us (laughs) half the action of the scene yes they did Um, but I hope that they can they can build to something really satisfying next time because that's the only reason for this movie to exist as it does on its own
0: I actually would have admired the film a lot more if they genuinely had finished mid-sentence
1: if a character had been (laughs) saying
0: a word oh my god Peter's directed by Francis Lawrence yeah, or, or or Katniss turns the camera at the end and goes, see you next year, guys, <laughs> for, more, for more Hunger Games-related fun. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a big fan of the way the movie ended. I don't know why I did it like that. But I'm not a big fan of the way the movie ended. But uh, but hey, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Peter disguised as a tree in the next one. I, I presume he does that again. I presume he...
1: Hey, no spoilers, Chris. Dis- I couldn't possibly give away that kind of information.
0: Uh, too Too big. Too big a spoiler. Uh, Okay, right. I think that's it. I think that's everything covered. For our Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1 spoiler special, join us every Friday for the regular Empire podcast. Our last spoiler special of the year will be live on December 15th. That's our The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies spoiler special. Uh, Do not miss it. Uh, Until then, it is fairly well from Helen. toodle Goodbye from Ali goodbye uh, is goodbye from Phil goodbye and it's goodbye for me may the force be ever with you
1: you've yeah. just got that wrong Have i got it wrong yeah may the force be infinite
0: may the force be infinite make my marvel see you next time